Well, good morning from wherever you're watching from. I want to introduce you to my friend, Mauro Prosperi. I don't know him, but I've spent time with him this week learning his story. And, and Mauro is a walking miracle. He is, he's an incredible, incredible story. And, and if it was just merely the fact that he is the winner of a gold medal, it would be enough. He won a gold medal in 1984 at the Los Angeles Olympics in the pentathlon. Uh, Morrow, for his whole life, has been an incredibly disciplined athlete and endurance person, which is why 10 years after he won that gold medal in LA, he and a friend decided to undertake a massive opportunity. They traveled to the Sahara Desert in 1994, and they began a 250K. For those of you who don't know, that's 5Ks. 50 of them in a row, in the middle of the harshest and most unforgiving location on earth, the Sahara Desert. Morrow and his friend took off and they began running. And while they were running in this race, the water that they couldn't carry on them was only available at aid stations. And in the middle of the longest day of this endurance race, as often happens in the desert, a massive dust storm took place. It completely uh, left them bewildered and disoriented, and Morrow got separated from his friend and the rest of the runners. He didn't know which way he was going, and he totally lost sight of the course. When the sandstorm ended, the, the scene looked entirely different as all of the sand had been moved and every landmark he had previously was gone. And so what Morrow did is he kept going. The only problem was he was running in the wrong direction. And he kept going in that direction for 10 days. He ran through the Sahara Desert without any water. He survived by eating dry food that he had stored in his pack. He drank his own urine to survive. And he even ate live bats. He finally found a, a shelter that he could get out of the weather. He waited there and hallucinated. And finally, he stumbled on some local shepherds and goat herders who took him in, only to discover that he had left the country he had started the race in and was now located in Algeria. They took him to the hospital there where he was in the hospital for seven days. While he was there, he was arrested by the Algerian military police who were convinced he was a spy. And eventually, Morrow returned home to Italy where it took his body over two years to recover after he did permanent damage to his liver and his kidneys. I mean, it is an amazing, miraculous story of survival that Morrow experienced but the sad truth is that amazing story of survival, it could have been avoided. And some of you are saying, yes, don't be stupid and run through the desert. <laughs> but it could have been avoided because Morrow had been instructed by the race's organizers that if he got lost or off course to shelter in place. But he disregarded that advice and he started running in the wrong direction and he kept running. 
in the wrong direction. And the more and more he got lost, the worse and worse things got. And again, it's a miracle that he survives. Now, I'm not standing here in judgment of Morrow. I think it's incredible that he survived. Frankly, if I was put in the same situation, I would have died. But, but the thing is, even though Morrow didn't want to go in the wrong direction, his good intentions didn't change that because our good intentions don't guarantee that we arrive at the right destination. Intentions are great, but intentions don't guarantee that you end up where you want to go. And so with that kind of context around us, I want to ask you a question this morning. Where are you headed this year? the next few years with your life? Are you headed in the right direction? Are are you going down a path that is going to take you where you want to go? Put another way, who are you becoming? And, And who you are as a person, your character, your integrity, your personhood, are you becoming the kind of person you want to be? And is the path that you're going down going to take you there. Whether you're here with us in the room today or you're watching online, I want to ask everybody who's here or watching to close your eyes. And with your eyes closed, I want you to imagine your age out in front of you in in those kind of balloons that you get at the store for somebody's birthday. Imagine the one or the two numerals that represent your age out there in front of you. And with your eyes closed, I want you to imagine that those numerals grow by five. Add five to them and imagine the number with five more years attached to it. As you're looking at that number, I want you to imagine this. Who are you going to be then? What will your life be like then if you keep going down the same path you're on today? How will you see yourself? What will your relationships look like? Where will you live? What kind of habits will you be doing? What will you look like physically? And with that, you in five years in mind, I want you to open your eyes. Today, we're beginning our first series of 2024, and as you've heard already, the series is called You in Five Years. Because if God gives us the grace to live another five years, which is not guaranteed, but if he does, we're going to be a certain kind of person in five years. And that person is the direct result of the choices and the direction that we embrace today. And and my fear is that for a lot of us, we're a bit like our friend Mauro Prospery. We're running. I mean, we're going. Life is moving. It's very full. But I'm not sure we're headed in the direction that we want to go. I'm not sure that we're becoming necessarily the person that we realize we're becoming. And this series that we're beginning today, it's based on a foundational principle, which if you have your notes, you can fill this out this morning. The foundational principle of this series is this, that we tend to overestimate what we can do in one year, and we underestimate what God can do in five years. We tend to overestimate all that we could accomplish in one year, and we tend to underestimate all of the incredible things God could do in five years. 
Let me give you some examples this morning of the things that we tend to overestimate. A lot of us overestimate the resolutions we can keep in one year. Make a really long list. These are all the things that are going to change this year. Or we go, hey, I'm going to blow out all of that debt this year. Or we're like, you know what? I'm going to run a marathon this year, even though we've never run a 5K. Or you know what? Like we're going to have a completely different marriage by the end of this year. We tend to overestimate what we can do in one year. But we tend to underestimate some things too. In five years, you could know a different language. You could be fluent in a language that you can't speak today. You could save and give away $10,000 in five years if you only saved $5 every day. You could read through the whole Bible and have your relationship with God transformed. If you just read two chapters a day, you'd read through the Bible three times in the next five years just a few minutes a day. You could transform your physical health with a few different choices every day when it comes to what you do with your body and what you eat. But we also tend to underestimate how much we can wreck our lives in five years. We underestimate how much we could destroy our lives through addictions to substances. In five years, with a few different choices, you could find yourself in prison. In five years, you you could have destroyed your family and wrecked your marriage with deception and infidelity. And you could be even further from where you want to go if you continue to procrastinate. At Cornerstone, our mission is that we want to help you to take your next step with Jesus. We believe all of us are becoming more and more like Jesus as his followers every day. And that means there are steps in front of us that we need to take. And following Jesus is as simple as identifying what is your next step and taking it. And and here's what I believe. I believe that it would be a shame if in January 2029, I put the wrong date on there, 2029, you are simply an exaggerated version of you today. If in five years we met each other and we hadn't seen each other in a while and we were like, oh my gosh, you haven't changed one bit. That would be sad. If you were simply an exaggerated version of you today, and so here's our big idea this morning that we're going to unpack together. If nothing changes, future you will be an exaggerated version of present you. If nothing changes about the way that you live, if nothing changes about the way you see yourself, the way you see God, the way you move in the world, then future you, you in five years, will simply be an exaggerated version of you today. Now, there's probably some things about that that are good. If we could exaggerate your your kindness, your faithfulness, your self-control, that'd be awesome. But let's be honest. And some of you are here with family today, so we have accountability. There are parts of you that if that future part of you was an exaggerated version of today, it would not be a gift to them. And so if nothing changes... All of you in the future is just an exaggerated version of you today. And so today, what I want to do at the time we have is I want to share with you five important reminders about change, people, and God. And the first one comes from Titus chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd encourage you to open up to Titus. Titus is a, a small book near the back of the Bible. It's, uh, it's in between 2 Timothy and Philemon. It's just one page in my Bible. It's, it's a pretty short read. If you decided to go home today and read it, you'd knock it out really fast. 
But, but Titus is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to one of his disciples, one of his mentees, a man named Titus. And he wrote this near the end of his life. And, and he writes to Titus in Titus 1.5 to describe kind of the context and the purpose for this letter and why he's reaching out to Titus. And here's what he says in verse 5. He says, Titus, the reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone and as I directed you to appoint elders in every town. So Paul had been with Titus in Crete. He left him there because the work wasn't done. There were still things to do. And Titus had a charge to appoint elders or leaders in every town where they'd established churches. And so if you were to go on and read the next few verses, Paul lists out the qualities, the characteristics, the markers that would determine that a person qualified for that kind of role. A couple of weeks ago, I was driving and listening to a book that was written by my friend, Eric Bryant. And Eric referenced a verse later on in Titus that, that I, I think I've read before, but I've never really actually understood. Like, it's one of those moments where I was like, that's actually in the Bible? Like, I must have missed that. And, and, and this, to me, I think is maybe one of the funniest, most surprising, maybe like, in, I don't know, kind of was like a, whoa, I can't believe you said that moment. If you have your Bibles open, go down to verse 12. This is what Paul writes. One of their own, a Cretan prophet, has said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And Paul says, this testimony is true. <laughs> like, like, that is hilarious. So according to one of these prophets on the island of Crete, about their own people, the prophet said, Cretans are always liars, they're evil beasts, they're lazy gluttons. And Paul reflects and he goes, yep, pretty much. Which brings us to our first point. As time passes, people don't magically change. We've moved from 2023 into 2024, and even though the calendar has changed and time has passed, there is no guarantee that just because calendar has changed, people have. And what's fascinating is Paul says, hey, this guy who's not a follower of Jesus, he's just a Cretan prophet. This is what he does and saying about his own people. And Paul goes, yep, it's totally true. They're always that way. It's fascinating. Paul agrees with the assessments that the Cretans don't change, but I would add on their own. Levi Lesko, who's the pastor who's actually inspired this series called You in Five Years, he did this series several years ago, and I love the title, and I, I borrowed it along with some content that I'll be referencing today. He said this, he says, time doesn't change who you are, it reveals who you are and makes you more of who you are. Time doesn't magically change us. What it tends to do is it tends to reinforce or calcify who we are. And we have all sorts of phrases in our culture for this. We say, you can't teach old dogs. We say things like, you are what you eat. Also, you could say, you become what you watch. You, you reap what you post. We have all these phrases that, that reinforce the idea that the things that we're doing today progressively and consecutively, and they compound and they make us who we are. 
Our, our video that we showed you a little while ago to introduce this series kind of shares some of these things about math, that in the same way that our interest compounds in our retirement accounts, our choices compound too. Like for example, all of us know people and maybe are people who watch three hours of cable news every day, where you watch the same voices every night. Well, if you were to watch three hours of cable news every day, you in five years will be someone who spent 7.5 months watching cable TV. And if that's you, I just have an honest confession for you. You will be shaped and become more like what you watch every night than what happens here on Sundays. It's just math. Some of you are like, I don't watch cable TV. I'm good. Well, let's talk about your phone. Some of you spend five hours every day between social media, playing games, streaming videos. If you spend five hours a day on your phone, and if you have an iPhone this morning, it notified you how much you were on your phone this week, you in five years will be someone who spent over a year on your phone, and you're going to see a chiropractor for the neck ache. See, our choices, they compound on top of each other. And as time passes, people don't magically change. We become the result of our choices. Here's what David says in Psalm 90. He says, our lives last 70 years, or if we're strong, 80 years. Even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly and we fly away. So teach us, Lord, to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. The second lesson about people change in God that I want to remind you of today is that there is an urgency to this present moment we're in. There's an urgency to this moment. We are not living lives that are guaranteed to us or promised to us. Life in this world is not guaranteed. And I was reminded of that this week. My, my kids have been off of school this week, and so we were kind of managing things, and they were with me at the office, and so we started things out. I always feel good starting a new year with a new haircut, and I'd gotten a haircut and was working on some things, and I got a text message from somebody in our church that they asked me to come out to the house. I'd already been there earlier in the month uh, because the, the kind of grandfather of the house is in the process of dying. So I went out there and sat with his wife and read scripture and we prayed and we talked and I just was reminded that for him, a little over two months ago, all he thought was he had a sore back. But as he went to the doctor and began to get some tests, he discovered that he had terminal cancer. What he didn't know he had at the beginning of November took his life by the beginning of January. And life is not guaranteed to any of us. There, there is an urgency to it. Some of you over the last few days have gone to the grocery store. Maybe you, you said, hey, the storm is coming. I'm going to get ready. I'm going to go. And often when the storm is coming, one of the things that is quickly purchased is milk. And all of us know this. When you open those kind of cold doors and you look for a gallon of milk, what is the one thing you look for? The expiration date. You want to make sure that you're going to have enough time to consume the milk before it goes bad. Well, what's sad, and I wish maybe it, it would work this way, none of us have our expiration dates written on our foreheads like you do a, a carton of milk. 
But all of us have an expiration date. Our lives have a moment where they're gone. The opportunities in front of us have expiration dates. And this is why Paul writes in Romans 13, he says, besides this, since you know the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over and the day is near, so let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk with decency as in daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires." There's an urgency that should mark our lives because it's not guaranteed. And so we need to be wise people. We need to not be foolish people because the opportunity of our lives is fading. Here's the third reminder I want to give you this morning. God's grace has the power to change who we are. Maybe saying, Scott, this was really discouraging. You're like, I'm going to die, and the future me is just going to be a version of who I am today. Yeah, there, there is some challenging news I have to deliver. But there's also good news, too. And I want to start by going back to what Paul says. Back in Titus 1.12, Paul agreed with the assessments that Cretans don't change. He agreed with that prophet. And he probably could say, agree with this statement right here. When it comes to the Cretans, hey guys, if nothing changes, future you will be an exaggerated version of present you. But what Paul was doing is he was telling Titus, find people who have character. How could Titus find people who had the character that he described if Cretans never change? Well, that would be because Paul testifies to how the gospel changes people. And this is what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6. He said, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males. No thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this, Paul writes, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Here's the good news. The good news is that future you doesn't have to be an exaggerated version of present you. If nothing changes, it will be. If nothing changes, future you is just going to be an exaggerated version of present you. But the good news is it doesn't have to be. And the seats you're sitting in today, each Sunday, hold people for whom the future version of them is not an exaggerated version of the present. Today and every Sunday, you sit around people who five years ago could not make it through a day without a substance that was destroying their body. And today, they carry with them in their pocket a chip that signifies their sobriety. Every Sunday, you sit next to a couple for whom there was a time they did not want to be in the same room with each other, much less next to each other at church. And they're sitting there 
holding hands in the middle of a service. Every Sunday, there'll be a family that takes up a part of a row that wouldn't come together for Thanksgiving because there was so much drama and dysfunction and bitterness and betrayal. But they're here together. Every Sunday, there's somebody who's here that wouldn't never, wouldn't ever darken the door of a church. But today, they'll open their Bible. They'll pray. And they'll trust God to carry them through whatever they're in the middle of. The good news is that future us doesn't have to be an exaggerated version of present us. And here's how that happens. Number four, changes in behavior begin with a change in identity. That kind of change that that makes us a different version of us in the future than we are in the present, it begins not with what we do, it begins with who we are. And again, Paul is going to be our teacher here. In 2 Corinthians 5, this is what he says, from now on, we don't know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see, the new has come. All too often, the church gets it wrong by teaching when it comes to changes, behavior modification. Hey, just do these things differently on the surface and you'll see change. But what we see here in 2 Corinthians 5 and what is actually being affirmed by the newest scientific research is that the way to sustain change is not with modifying your behavior. It's with what's called identity-based change. Let me give you a little example here with this picture from James Clear. He says, often what happens is that we make changes on the outside level with outcomes. This is where most of our resolutions come for New Year's. I'm going to lose five pounds. I'm going to pay off $10,000 of credit card debt. I'm going to save $1,000 a month. All of those are outcomes. He says that that's the most superficial level of change. And the one we can control the least. He says the next level is processes. That's like, hey, I'm going to go to the gym. Uh, I, I'm going to stop taking um, takeout for lunch. I'm going to bring my own lunch. I'm going to make coffee at home. I'm, I'm going to put the TV away so I'm not tempted to watch. Those are processes. He says, the place that real true change starts and is sustained is with our identity. And here's what Clear writes in his book, Atomic Habits. He says, to change your behavior for good, you need to start believing new things about yourself. You need to build identity-based habits. And here's what one of the research things that I read this week said. If you're someone who smokes and you want to stop smoking, one of the hardest pieces of that is the social experience that happens where people smoke together. And if when somebody invites you to smoke and you're trying to quit and you say, I'm sorry, I'm trying to quit smoking, it will be very difficult for you to continue and sustain that. The better way is not to reply to the invitation for a smoke of, hey, I'm trying to quit. The better way is, I'm sorry, I'm not a smoker anymore. Not, I don't do that, I'm trying to stop, but I am now someone different. 
Same kind of thing could be said for us in other areas of our life. Not, hey, I'm trying to do something different or I'm working something else out. Hey, I am a, in the language of Paul, a new creation. God is making me new and that is not who I am anymore. Craig Rochelle says it this way in his book, The Power to Change. He said, if you try to change your behavior without changing your identity, you're pulling up a weed without getting to the root. And that's where true change has to begin. It has to begin with our identity, with the way that we see ourselves. And I'll tell you, for me, my challenge has not been smoking, not as a judgment on smokers. We all have our own struggles. For me, one of the things that I've had to battle in myself is is my struggle with insecurity, with anxiety. And, And what I've had to do is not go, hey, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be insecure, don't be insecure. That doesn't work, by the way. I tried it. If you've tried it, you probably know the same thing. What I had to do was begin to see myself differently and believe about myself what the scripture says is true. And I put together a few years ago a list of things that I return to often that remind me of who God says I am. And I just brought a little list to share with you today. In Genesis 1.28, I'm reminded that I was created in the image of God. In John 15, I'm reminded that God chose me and appointed me to bear fruit. In Ephesians 2, I'm reminded that I am God's masterpiece. Romans 8 says that I am victorious. Philippians 1 says that God isn't finished with me and he won't stop until he is. Romans 8 says that nothing can separate me from God's love. Ephesians 2 says I was created to do good and do good things God planned long ago. In Philippians 1, it says God isn't finished with me and he won't stop until he is. In Ephesians 2, it says that I didn't save myself, God's grace did. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says that I'm a new creation. Romans 8 says that I'm filled with the resurrection power and I'm not condemned. John 8 says that I am free. Romans 8 says that God chose me and adopted me into his family. Psalm 139 says that God knows everything about me and he still loves me. Romans 6 says that I'm no longer a slave to sin. 1 John 3 says I'm a son of God. And Colossians 3 says I have been raised to life. And it is by believing those things and reinforcing those things and basing my identity in those things that I begin to have the power, if you follow that little circle, to work from identity to process to outcome. And if you could use that list, just stay tuned. I'll let you know at the end of the message where you can get a copy of that. But here's the last reminder. Maybe this is why you needed to be here today. When it comes to change, you need to think consistency, not intensity. You need to think consistency and not intensity. In about three weeks, well, I guess it's now two weeks, January 21st, There'll be a day where everything changes. If you're the kind of person who's at the gym every day, wait till January 21st. If you're the kind of person who shops only around the center of the store, don't worry. Everything changes January 21st. What's January 21st? It is the day when the majority of resolutions are broken. Because most of us, when it comes to change, we think intensity. So we make a really long list of all the things we're going to do, and we've got all this motivation because it's a new year, and we go for it. And then when the motivation runs out, 
we stop. Because we think intensity and not consistency. Scripture teaches us the power of consistency. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding and excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Galatians 6 has something similar. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we do not give up. When it comes to making changes, it's not about your intensity, how hard you can go, how perfectly you can keep all of those habits. It is consistency day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. That is where true change comes from. Because remember the principle that the series is founded on? We tend to overestimate what we can do in a year tend to underestimate what God can do in five years. That overestimation, that's, consist- that's intensity. That underestimation, that's consistency. In preparing for this message, I was listening to a message from Levi Lesko, and he shared a story that really got my attention. He said that there was a study that was done in Australia with 939-year-olds. I'm 39, so he had my attention. He said that that group of 900 was split in two. And in one group of 450, the first group, they were told, hey, wear sunscreen whenever it's sunny. Over the next few years, whenever you go out to the beach or it's a a bright summery day, put on a high-powered sunscreen, like 50 or 75 or 100. Just lather it all up. But then the other group of 450 was told something different. Said, hey, wear SPF 15, but wear it every day. I'm like, SPF 15, that's like barely anything. Okay. So then he says, 4.5 years passed by, which is close enough for our five years to call it five. And so they brought those people back in. They'd done before photos. They took another photo that's an after photo. And group one, this is the one who only put sunscreen on when it was sunny. They looked at their photos and everyone admitted, yeah, we aged. There were visible signs of aging in the entire group who only wore high-powered sunscreen when it was sunny. And they brought in group two, looked at their photos, and for those 450 people, there was no discernible signs of aging. With one simple habit, daily sunscreen. Here's what Levi said reflecting on that. He said, what's true of your skin is also true of your soul. All too often, like, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to press hard. I'm going to push hard. I'm going to go for it. Or, hey, it feels like the time to do that. I should do that. That's that's the intensity, the short pushes. But what we see with this study and what we see in the scriptures is that consistency is better than intensity. And if God gives you life for another five years, it will be the things that you did consistently that made you that person who looks more like Christ, not the things that you did intermittently or with short bursts of intensity. Because if nothing changes, future you will be an exaggerated version of present you. We end every next step, every message at Cornerstone with next steps. And so I'd encourage you to turn your sheet over if you have it. And I've got four things for you this morning. 
And this is the part where this is going to have to become a group project where you contribute something as well. Number one, I want you to imagine an exaggerated version of present you in five years. Write down five things you like about future you and five things you don't like. I'm not asking you to get, you know, a poll on here. So don't put this on Facebook and say, hey, everybody in the comments, tell me, you know, don't do that. This is just a solo project for you. Okay, make a list. Imagine. Then two, I want you to ask God to reveal what he wants you to do with what you imagined and wrote down. I'm not telling you because I don't have that much information on you. And newsflash, I'm not God. I want you to ask him. Again, this is the part where you're going to have to contribute some work to this. Third, I want to encourage you to visit our resources page on our website. The link is right here for some further resources where you can get some help with some next steps. We'll be adding to that page every week. When you go on there, there's a big button that says resources mentioned in a sermon. You just click on that. If you want a copy of those identity statements that I read earlier in the message, you'll find that there. You can download that there. But we'll keep adding to it as we go through this series to be able to help you continue to take steps forward. And then number four, I want you to come back for the rest of this series. Because I've left a lot of things untouched and unresolved. Over the next four weeks after today, we're going to walk through four different areas where I think you and me in five years could make some adjustments and course corrections. And so we're going to work our way through it. The average American, according to a study in recent years, who attends church, attends church 1.8 times a month. So over five weeks, that means you're only going to get two of the five. And I just would encourage you to, to make a commitment that as the year starts out, you're going to be more consistent than that so that you can get all that you can out of where we're going. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you so much that you've given us the gift of life. We don't know if it's guaranteed. Like our friend Bruce, we don't know what our future holds and it could change radically and drastically in just a few moments. But if you give us the next five years, Lord, we want to live them intentionally. We don't want to just wake up in five years and go, man, I didn't, I didn't change at all. In fact, the only thing that I did was I became more of who I already am, the good and the bad. We thank you for your word, Jesus, which tells us in Philippians 1 that we can be confident of this, that he who began a good work will carry it on to completion. Jesus, your grace is at work in our life. It's made us new and it is making us new. Lord, we want to cooperate with that. We want your grace and our actions to come together so that future us is not just an exaggerated version of present us. We believe that's the work you're doing and we want to submit to that and partner with that. So give us eyes to see and ears to hear what it is that you are showing us today. Help us to lean into you this week and, and seek out what do you want us to do next in light of it. And if you give us the gift of five more years, we pray that not only are we more the people you want us to be, but we pray that you've used us in the lives of other people to do the same. We thank you, Jesus. 
for the opportunity called today. We pray that we're a good steward of it. And it's in your name we pray this. Amen.